Welcome back to Until Saturday, boys and girls. Did it kind of sound like the beginning of Solid Verbal? I don't know. I'm a little bit nervous. A little bit. Uh, we are joined today by college football podcast royalty. If there was uh, a dude alert for podcasts, we have yeah, one right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I got to be on my A game. Last night when we were recording at 2 a.m. out of Pete Sampson's living room, I was stumbling over my words. I uh, was very, mm. very tired. I'm on 48 minutes of sleep uh, since that point, but I'm going to try to be cleaner um, on this week's episode of uh, Sunday Sound Off here. Dan Rubenstein, obviously, from the Zolid Verbal joining us. I'm Ari Wasserman, David Ubbin. Uh, did you get back uh, to Knoxville pretty safely or what? Like 45 minutes ago, Ari. I'm I'm on I'm on edge right now. We got, you know, <laughs> it's been it's been it's been a run. It's been a run, but we're here. Yeah, I think that you and I might have to be writing after this, and I can't even imagine doing that. It's gonna so, be. Um, it's gonna be. We'll see how it goes. Godspeed to those of you who have to read that tomorrow. The thing that I wanted to start the show off with, um, because if you do not know this about our guest Dan Rubenstein, he went to college at Oregon. Uh, Dave Ubbin just made his first trip to Oregon, and you said that you had an Oregon hot take for people before we get into the nonsense that you were talking about last night. Um, <laughs> what is your Eugene Oregon hot take? I want to preface this by saying that Oregon is awesome. And oh Eugene boy, it's going to be bad. No, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's a preference. <laughs> Continue. Dan, yeah. <clears throat> I was somewhat aware of the shout tradition. Okay. The Between Matt the Kearney, third and fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Matt Kearney coming home yeah. tradition sing along. Mm-hmm. Significantly better than shout. Okay, so. I respect your opinion. I don't have an opinion because that tradition started after I, excuse me, I'm getting all choked up here. Um, That tradition, I think the Matt Kearney involvement in the Oregon program was sort of has its roots in will he, won't he go when Chip Kelly was weighing like NFL offers. And there was like a Mm -hmm. Matt Kearney last ditch, come on home kind of vibe. I was ignorant of the whole thing. Right. And I think it, I don't, know if it was when he was flirting with tampa or when he actually did go to the eagles so that's 2011 and 2012 going way back then and i know matt kearney's from oregon and so i guess that's that's their own kind of version of country roads right the sort of Mm -hmm. geographic pride um the municipal pride i i just never was up i was never a part of shout nor was i a part of coming home so i love a sing-along i love that like florida does it with tom petty like i love Mm -hmm. all of that stuff and so anything that gets people like arm in arm swaying back and forth, people make fun of Texas A&M for all those traditions. And I think it's cool. And maybe I'm like a corny older guy now, but there is something that's very cool about that stuff. So your take is your take. I love the shout thing because I think the guy who really got super into it on the team. Now I'm uh, what's his name? Uh, not Travis Dye, his older brother, linebacker. I, I'm the Oregon person. I should know his name. <laughs> Um, what's I his name? Notice, I'm not sure I knew Travis Dye had an older brother that played linebacker. I think I missed this. He was like an all pack 12 Travis Dye. Like there were like four dies to be clear. Dye linebacker, Oregon and people, mm-hmm. Troy Dye. Troy Dye was like an all pack 12 in like <clears throat> six years ago, not that long ago. And he started going nuts on the sideline with shout. And so now that like mm-hmm. the players get into it, it's a whole thing. So, uh, I, I like it from afar. I think it's cool. I got to say earnest, earnest podcaster hat briefly, Ari. This last year um, of just me doing this job, I've been kind of all over uh, Miami, Georgia, a lot of Boulder, 
Oregon, um, you know, all these places. We live in a very beautiful country and with a lot of very cool people with a lot of like geographic topographical diversity. It's all awesome. Like Miami, Portland, Eugene, Boulder, like. Well, what's crazy is is that you actually live in one of the most underrated, beautiful parts of the country. Very much so. I I had no idea how pretty it is. Like the Great Smoky Mountains were. I, I had to drive through them. To go to a poker tournament in Cherokee, North Carolina. So, I spent yeah. about eight years in Dallas, which might be one of America's least uh, physically attractive cities. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's a little bit of whiplash going from Dallas to to Knoxville. What a beautiful country with a lot of different places and a lot of different faces. I'm glad you got to go to Eugene. That was great. It was fantastic. I'm, everybody should try to make that pilgrimage. And you, you, you feel the, the Harley revving up before the duck drives out. Like there's it's just, so there's unique. A, it's just like there's so many things with Oregon that are just so Oregon. Yes, you take you just, the footbridge over the mighty Willamette River. Uh, there's there's just a ton going on. And th- I've listened. I used to travel for SI when I did my tailgate show way back when. And so I've been to like 40 schools or something. Mm-hmm. And each of them is sort of a they're all like my children. Each of them are a they're, they're a treasures and you can, you know, tailgate in like a radioactive lab parking lot at Mizzou. Like there's just like weird stuff everywhere. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> I've been in that parking yeah. lot. I want to. I want to have my <laughs> earnest podcaster moment too. Please. I want to say that I had driven through South Bend before, like on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. This was my first game day experience at Notre Dame, and I got to say that is one of the prettiest campuses I've ever been oh, on. Oh, it's stunning. I, there is a certain element to it, and if you've listened to the show back to when Andy Staples was the host, I used Ooh. to mock the notion <laughs> of the movie Rudy. Because I think that it is hilarious that there are a lot of fans who view this sport and NIL and the way that you know certain players view the programs that they're a part of through Rudy's eyes. Like they would sacrifice their body, their future, their finances for your favorite team. And they love their I Like I used to be like, this is not how people feel. Right. But walking through Notre Dame's campus, I can almost hear the themes of that movie. I could see the leaves changing. The, the towers, the domes, the, the trees, the benches, the lakes. Like, I was absolutely blown away by Notre Dame and, and what it had to offer. Um, the stadium was great. The fans were great. The uniforms, I thought, were great. Some people didn't like them. I loved them. And I got to yeah. say that it was one of my favorite trips to any place that I've ever been. It's college football Augusta. We were like, wow, there's other yeah. nice places. But this is like super spe- like each blade of grass is just kind of different here that's that's yeah. Day. it's fantastic and just, anyway and to be I'm sorry grateful for being earnest <laughs> no it's fine and we should all just be grateful for this opportunity and be grateful that we're not emotionally tied to baylor football this fall yes <laughs> or i or iowa football or iowa <laughs> when, yeah. no i think that it's pretty easy to say because you know while we were on the podcast last night i don't know if you get this way dan when you guys go live at midnight eastern yeah but I am so delirious from the day that like a lot of stuff doesn't land. And I was on the airplane looking through Iowa's box score today <laughs> and it is horrifying. It's like, real rough. It, the, it the legitimately soft of, uh, of, of box scores <laughs> could not get worse. Like unless they had four or less first downs, that's literally the only way it could have gotten worse. Um, it's, and it's very bad. The, the game the the viewing experience of the game was such that you're like, did this team like come together 15 minutes before the game started to like formulate a plan? Like 
where they're guys from Canada, guys from Australia, guys from Denmark. And you're like, all right, here's how football works. And they're like, like they did their best against Ready, Penn right. State. <laughs> but I'm going to go on record here and I'm going to have my bold prediction before we get into the Sunday sound off portion of the show. My bold prediction is that he will not reach 325 and that he will be retained. Interesting. Oh, I like I th- it, Ari. I, I think there's a legitimate chance that they play in the Big Ten championship game this year. And you and, think that'll be enough? And I think that there's a way that they could rationalize. You know, we play the Iowa brand of football that we like. It wasn't always pretty, but we like to muck games up. And, you know, the offense is a vessel to control the game the way that we want to control it. And I don't know. Father, son lingo. Here's. That that saves the job. Here's can I tell you this? Uh, not to jump in. This isn't my show. Michigan State, Purdue, Minnesota, Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, Nebraska, with Wisconsin thrown in there after Purdue. There are so many winnable games for maybe, maybe just a below average offense to win. And so that's what you're striving for at this point. If you're Iowa football, below average on offense, and that wins you I, nine games. I think that this is the perfect segue because there is, and I don't want to tease it, a very, very sad, sad Iowa voicemail. Um, so we can talk about this a little bit more. Let me get through my quick spiel here real quick. Um, welcome to Until Saturday, Sunday, Sound Off Edition. Um, we uh, are really happy that you're here. And of course, the way that you guys have participated with this part of the show um, has meant a lot to me. It's meant a lot to Dave. Uh, the fact that we can hear your voices, the way that you participate, the way that you make this feel like a community. Um, there's no such thing as a really good podcast without an actual community and having your voices represented on the show means a lot. Um, be sure to subscribe to the until Saturday YouTube channel. If you're watching right now live, we appreciate it. Um, if you are listening to this in podcast form on Monday morning, the show to the YouTube channels and the show's description, um, we go live every Thursday for picks every Saturday night for reaction and every Sunday for the sound off show on YouTube. Um, be sure if you want to be a part of this episode and you want to leave a voicemail to call 316-462-9852. Again, that's 316-462-9852. Um, and we will get your voice on the show. You can text that number too. We are definitely going to be partial to voicemails because funny, angry, sad, um, happy voices are what make the show better. And lastly, sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter um, where you can get your daily fill of college football news right to your inbox. Uh, The link to that is also in the show's description. And I think we are ready to rock. So let's get into Sunday sound off. Uh, Let's start with the first voicemail. Hey, guys. uh, First time caller. Great show. Aaron Bingaman calling from Indiana. And I was in the room for the Ohio State Notre Dame game. I felt like Notre Dame did more to lose that game than Ohio State did to win the game. I think uh, Ohio State showed some gumption on that last drive, but the fact that they had the ball being the result of some really weird play calling, two passes and final possession by Notre Dame with four minutes to go, the missed field goal, two dropped interceptions. You know, what are your thoughts on uh, the observation that really Notre Dame did more to lose the game than Ohio State did to win the game? All right, guys, love uh, the program, and I uh, hope you answer my question. Thanks so much. It's an interesting question. I, I you know, I, I suppose you could have to go back and look at some of the, the, the ifs and buts and candies and nuts of the Ohio State side of things. I actually liked the screen call on that last drive. I thought that was actually a smart call just 
JT Tui Omalau is insane. He's crazy. Like, yeah. It's so it's like, but I actually did like that call. Uh, the dropped interception. I mean, it wasn't like it was like a, you know, a can of corn in his chest. I mean, that's a tough play. You could make the play. So I don't know. I I I kind of lightly disagree, but I can see how when you go back and watch that game, especially in a game where there's so few points and there's so few. Um, there are so so few points and so many hinge points. I can see how you'd be kicking yourself, but uh, I'm sure Ohio State feels the same way. Here's the stat that I keep falling back onto: on the final drive of that game, Kyle McCord and Ohio State had a third and ten, a fourth and seven, and a third and nineteen, and converted all of them. Mm-hmm. And on the third and nineteen, through a bullet pass uh, that got him down to the goal line, which set up the eventual game-winning play. The thing that I can't get past is how there were 10 people on the field. And then Marcus Freeman, after the game was over, trying to play it off as if he didn't want to sub. Twice, by the way. Twice, <laughs> Twice. 10 people Two on plays. the field. Yeah. Two plays. Couldn't afford a penalty. And like I don't know if I have a misunderstanding of the rules here, but that would have just been a half yard closer to the goal line, right? With a full defense out there. Right. So would you rather have third, fourth and goal or whatever to go and goal with three seconds left with out a defensive lineman in the gap that they're running the ball into, or would you rather be at the half yard line with a 275 pound person there? I think that based on the way that it was hard for Ohio state to score on that final play, that if there was a person there, they probably would have lost uh, regardless of where the ball was snapped from. When their but, alignment was off on that play too, they were misaligned horribly yeah. in addition to having 10 guys. Yes. <laughs> so I, I think that like Ohio state probably should get some credit for going out and winning the football game. But if you want to play the lost the game away game, I think you can do it on both sides. Ohio State mm-hmm. played grab ass on a few fourth downs that they you know could have converted into points or moved the football and moved the chains. And and of course Notre Dame missed a field goal. They also uh, left some points out there. It kind of felt like just a good defensive battle. Um, you know Marvin Harrison didn't really have much of an impact on this game, which is a really good job by Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame did everything in their power to win this football game, but I also think that Ohio State deserves credit for converting all of those tough third and fourth down uh, situations on that final drive in order to win that game. Well, isn't that the thing, too? Like, I I understand this as a fan of a team that has been in a number of huge games and lost huge games, that there is something to credit the winning team with not doing bad things and taking advantage of opportunities. Like, you can say, like, oh, Notre Dame had miscues and they lost the game. They dropped this interception they were unable to convert this. They didn't execute here, whatever. They had all of these chances. But what Ohio State did is, I, I think, not screwing up is underrated. And when you look at what separates teams that win 10, 11 games a year and what teams that win eight or nine games a year do, it's you don't see the screw ups and you don't think about the screw ups. So it's not like front of mind. But the fact that, you know, Ohio State doesn't muff a punt, the fact that, you know, you don't have a miscommunication between Kyle McCord and Amika Egbuka and it end up with a Notre Dame interception or something like that. It's easy to say, like, well, yeah, that's what they're supposed to do. But like six and a half teams do that every year and Ohio State's generally one of them. And so I think that's the difference that Notre Dame isn't ready to do what it's supposed to do on every single play. And we saw that come to pass literally the second to last play, and then again on the final play. And so that's where I think you give Ohio State credit is their feet are clean because they didn't shoot themselves. And that's, that's an actual winning skill to me. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I was listening to your beautiful voice on the way to the O'Hare airport this morning, Dan. Okay. And, uh, Did you sleep ugly you, on the plane, by the way, on the way home? No, well, I had some action minutes? on the NFL game, so oh, okay, I was, uh, you know, they had NFL red zone going. Yeah. I was, yeah. <laughs> of course you did. Um, so you're listening I, I, to I'm, me. Yeah. I'm not the smallest person in the world, so sitting in, in, a, in an airplane seat, I'm not the most peaceful sleeper there. So, I'm, you know, after we write whatever we write, we'll get to it. But you guys recorded and we recorded before I think both of our podcasts really took a minute to discuss what Ryan Day said both on national television about <laughs> Lou Holtz and then, of course, what he said in the postgame room that I was in mm-hmm. um, before writing a column. And, you know, that was the entire angle of my story in terms of, like, Ohio State's softness as a program and whether or not that's a real thing or why he was upset. And I was just wondering, because it seems to be a very, a very big topic on the day. This isn't a voicemail, just my curiosity coming through. Do we like the way he acted? Do we not like the way he acted? Like, can you see why he would be upset? Because it's like, on one hand... You keep hearing everybody calling you soft and you lose to Michigan two years in a row and softness is what prevails. Um, I would get tired of hearing it if I were him. On the other hand, it's an 87 year old man who doesn't know what planet he's on probably. Right. So it's like, which like which side of the fence do you land on in terms of, of what Ryan Day did? And did it just kind of seem like he was at the end of his rope hearing about it? And it just Lou Holtz was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think everything, everybody runs hot on game day and especially, you know, you can go back. I'm trying to remember. I think it was Sark in the Alamo Bowl. Somebody just like accidentally touched him before running out on the field. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. was people laughed about that. I found that to be That's like insane. mildly concerning. Yeah, like that yeah. was weird. Right. Well, I'm saying it's just like everybody's running hot. There's a ton of stress these guys feel. And I don't think it was the messenger as much as it was the platform that like mm-hmm. you have this huge game on network television that everybody's watching. It's the only truly yep. huge game of that moment. I'll do respect to Wazoo, Oregon State. Um, and you have a not a representative of the program, but sort of a symbol of the Notre Dame program. Come on. And in in front of a very pro Notre Dame audience, which is what NBC generally is, even though obviously there's a bajillion Ohio State fans watching the game. He goes on network TV and he calls your team that you're working 18 hour days. You're recruiting for 2034 or whatever. Like Ryan Day lives and breathes Ohio State more than anybody in this universe. And right before kickoff, somebody's like, your team is soft. <laughs> and I, I really do think it's the moment and the timing of it all and the fact that, you know, this is not on Big Ten Plus or whatever that is. This is on NBC ahead of the biggest game of arguably the first half of the season. And, you know, you're always trying to portray your program for recruits, for boosters, whatever, in the best possible light. And so when you have that opportunity to go on NBC and refute it and say, as it turns out, we were the more physical team. We didn't back down from this big defense, this big offensive line. He took that opportunity. And I always prefer somebody run hot than run cold. It's football. Well, it's we're, okay. We're going to dig think, into this a little bit more, Dave. Because I think he was Lou Holtz as, a, as an avatar. If Lou right. Holtz had spouted some insane yeah. take, I don't think Ryan Day would have cared. Well, but it's a hit dog haulers sort of situation, right? right. <laughs> he he touched on something that was probably was actually occurring. And what we kind of got into it a little bit last night talking about. I think Ryan Day knows in his heart 
that if they would have lost that game and not just lost it, but lost it in the manner in which it looked like they were about to lose it, um, giving up two 11 and 13 play drives um, where uh, Audric Estime was carrying linebackers on his back like it was a, a you know, a, a dog and pony show. Mm-hmm. Um, and they blew a 10-0 lead and then just got physically outmuscled before, you know, losing the game. Um, they had two separate opportunities at fourth and goal and fourth and one from the one um, to either score a touchdown or extend the drive uh, in a critical situation down four late in the game. And they called a jet sweep and a pass. Um, I think that there were a lot of things about the way that Ohio state was starting to slip in that game that were very reminiscent of the way that things had gone against Michigan. And sure. if Ohio state would have lost 14 to 10 or, you know, Notre Dame would have won in a way where they out muscled them and broke their backs physically, despite the fact that they're, you know, markedly less talented than them, then that would be a bad thing for the image of not only the program, which he was clearly already sensitive about, Mm -hmm. but his personal image. So to me, I think that that was also, you know, I don't think he's mad at Lou Holtz. I think that he wanted a resounding response to the notion that he and his program are soft, because if he actually gets to a point where people all believe that and it's true, that's when the seat gets starting hot. And I know that sounds crazy to people, right? But there are a lot of Ohio State fans, even after the win last night, that are to the end of their ropes with Ryan Day. And you might think that's crazy, Dave. You already admitted it last night or, or made that notion. But <laughs> I think is, Ohio State <laughs> the Ohio State is a team right now that is not a complete product that is trying to build its way into a team that can actually beat Penn State and beat Michigan at the end of the year and maybe make the playoff. This isn't an Ohio State team that's a finished product that's just going to waltz into the Final Four. So winning that game and doing it the way that they did it by actually getting that one yard at the end by running into nobody because there was nobody there, um, I think is a really big moment for the program at a very interesting intersection um, between soft and hard. You know what I mean? Like that to me is is a pretty significant night. Do you, you know? think it's a status thing too? I, I don't mean to interrupt, but do you think it's like right now, Ohio State, in, in terms of the national perception to me, and maybe I'm wrong on this, is like, okay, Ohio State obviously is still behind the powers of the South. They're still, mm-hmm. be, when they have those big moments against Georgia, when they have those big games against Alabama, Clemson, whoever, like they take a step back, right? They're not able to get wins in those moments. And then you're like, well, they're the class of the Midwest, they're the class of the Big Ten. Well, you lose two straight to Michigan. You can't quite say that. Then you lose to Notre Dame. What are you? What are you in the sport if you're not on the level of the best teams in the South and you are on a losing streak to your rival in the same region? Mm -hmm. And then you lose to the other, I don't know what we consider Penn State if they're Midwest or whatever, but Big Ten. So you have all this stuff sort of floating over Ryan Mm -hmm. Day and Ohio State's head. And I think there is, look, it's, it comes back to recruiting. Notre Dame and Ohio State are battling each other for recruits. And if now you're squarely behind Notre Dame and Michigan in your region. Bad place to be. It's well, not amazing. When Meyer left Ohio State, I think you could have made the case that Ohio State was the second sturdiest program in college football. Sure. Or the second best program in college football. Now you can't even make the case that Ohio State is the best program in its own division. Right. I think they're second second place in their own division. Clearly, they've lost two Status in a row. Matters. And I think you could actually make a case that they are the third best team in their own conference right now. Because uh, Penn State's a really good football team. We're going to find out here in three weeks how good they actually are. But I feel like there was a little bit of a discussion last night, Dave. And I'm going to throw it back to you about how last night wouldn't have been as big of a deal in the 
big picture if Ohio State would have lost. And I was listening back to it. I was like, I actually don't think the people understood what you were trying to say. So I just want to give it back to you so that we can clear that up. Because I think you do understand that if they would have lost, their program would have been in a dark, dark, dark place right now. It's pretty simple. I think people would have freaked out and would have, like, you know, been in their front yards, like, crying or just, I don't know what they would have done. People would have freaked out and it would have been stupid. Like, I'm not saying that the world wouldn't have felt like it was ending in Columbus, but like have a little perspective. You're still one of the five most talented teams and whatever, and you can still beat literally anybody on any given field. You went toe to toe with Georgia like nine months ago. And I think it's well, this Ohio State team's probably not as good as last year's, but probably, you know, not that far off. So, you know, it's the season. The irrationality of fans and the lack of seeing the big picture is sort of part of what makes a sport beautiful. But like, as respectfully as I can say this, chill out. Yeah, and Ohio State can still <laughs> roll Michigan and Penn State. And yes. it'll it'll feel a lot farther away in the rearview mirror if that happens. Yeah. yeah. We should do like a Ryan Day approval survey with fans and see what it is. I think you would be shocked. By how low that approval is. I want to run through a few things. I wouldn't uh, be shocked. Before. I just think it's stupid. That's my point. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe they're like Ralph Russo texted me this today with that group chat. And he said that I spent so much time in Columbus that like my brain has morphed into a way that doesn't operate like a normal college football reporters. And, and it was like, already some truth. It was already that. in a weird place. But it's like also that. there was nobody more qualified to be writing off of that game last night than I was because that was my entire life for the, my entire, just like the bulk of my, my adult life. So I understand those people, I think pretty well. I've lived it. I've seen some really big wins. I've seen some pretty bad losses and seen a lot of some other stuff too. And, uh, it was kind of cool to be back, but certainly really, really fun to be at Notre Dame. It so, sounds so fun I, to be an Ohio state fan. You guys are really selling this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. If we're you, we're if usually you excellent, being, but we're always miserable. That sounds yes, awesome. That's an awesome yes, way to live. Yeah. Well, also, too, you got to take into account that they haven't won a national title in 10 years. And oh. considering the ingredients that they've put into the program, it's pretty remarkable oh that they gosh. haven't. Are they okay? Do we need to get. Uh, no, I know, but do think we need about to get it. Sarah Dave. McLaughlin out here? What do we call it? Like do? It's like you don't get it, though. It's like they watch Alabama and Georgia do, do the it. same I... thing and they keep and they're winning national championships like it's easy baked muffins and they've gone a decade. It really irritates them. I do and, get so, it. And also, they'll be happy for a day. If it happens, no pun intended. They'll yeah. be happy for I mean, one day. Went, Georgia's went to back. We haven't gone back to back in decades, Ari. Yeah. What do we do? This is yeah, the program the is broken. We got to get Urban back in here. What's happening? <laughs> yeah, um, and to put a bow on that discussion, there's loads of Ohio State Notre Dame content in the Until Saturday newsletter. Janet Bardall wrote about Ryan Day's post game comments about Lou Holtz. I was in the room. It was pretty crazy, guys. Uh, <laughs> how Notre Dame's uniform was the winner of the day. I thought it was gorgeous uh, and much more. Be sure to check out that newsletter. The link is in the show's description. Okay, let's go to the next voicemail, guys. Yes, sir. I'm an Iowa fan. I'm currently at the whiteout game. Uh, please tell me this gets better as a college football fan. I, I know there's great highs in this that make it all feel better, but right now it's horrible. Uh, thanks. I wish I could tell you that it's going to get better and I think it will eventually. It just might be a long, long time from now because I don't think that this is all just going to be like, well, 
Iowa scored 279 points this year. The coach is fired. Like also too, the head coach is going, even if it's not his son is going to hire an offensive coordinator that calls a scheme <laughs> that complements the defense. Right. Like this isn't like it's a, well, we are, we are six sweet months away from the air raid. Like it's not, it's just not in the cards uh, for Iowa in the immediate future for me. Like, I've, heard El- I've heard Elliot Smith albums more uplifting than that. Voice. Well, you know, the thing that I don't know is as an Iowa fan, if you win the game 10 to seven or six to two, six to four, whatever that score was, or nine to three, do you even enjoy winning that way? Like, that's the hardest thing to me. It's like, do you enjoy watching it? This is an entertainment product. Everybody likes to see their team score. If your team is peak Iowa and you are winning games, 10, 11 games in a year with an offense that averages 23 points a game and you're winning half of your games, 12 to to six, is that even a satisfying experience as a fan, even when it's working? Um, okay. Here's what I would say. When did USC, okay, USC, Iowa in the holiday bowl, 2019, 10 and three, Iowa defeats eight and five USC 49 to 24. Just go on YouTube and watch the highlights of that. If you're an Iowa fan, (laughs) right? So like there is proof of concept. Like there were, I think that was, uh, what's his name? Uh, Smith Marset, I think was like all over the place in that game. Yeah. Um, ISM. So there, there is an element of Iowa that it can happen in the right scenario at the right time, whatever. And that it's just deep within the recesses of the Kirk Ferentz hard drive, a willingness to open things up. Uh, you're right though. It's his vision. It's his program. It's what he wants the offense to serve as. And that's what you just have to get. Like, how does Kirk Ferentz go into a quarterback's living room and say, all right, hear me out. Like what comes after that? Like why, how I'm going to ask every question. Like, what is it that he can sell about this Iowa team to a wide receiver, to a running back, to a quarterback? I, mean, I guess the running back is going to get a lot of touches. But like, how do you go into Nate Stanley's house successfully, mind you, and say, oh, we really think you're going to thrive here? Like, what, what is that conversation? It seems impossible. And yet it keeps happening. I just don't like watching them acknowledging the existence of Iowa. It just... I spend my Saturdays going out of my way a lot of the time to watch as little of it as possible because it, it yeah. makes me sad. Yeah. I'm just like, this it, it, This is just like, you know, it, it's a 10 times worse version of like Penn State a few years ago. You know, like the Hackenberg era, some of that stuff where you're just like, I don't want to spend, like you only get a dozen of these, you know, 10, you know, 12, 15 Saturdays a year. Yep. I don't want to spend it watching Iowa football and imagining the people that are emotionally invested and feel a gravitational pull toward watching that. I just like well, everybody's kind of funny, but it's really sad. Well, this is the thing last year. It was funny. The drive to three twenty five inherently created something that we could all make fun of. But if you go look at the actual box score and watch the game, it's not funny. No, they're not able to compete. They are not equipped to do anything. It doesn't matter what they do. They, I mean, they got, they played in a game last night and granted it was raining. No, I don't care about that. They could not get a first down. Raining for Penn State too. Yeah. 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 Uh, So so everybody's, I think everybody, now that Alabama's experienced it, everybody's 
watched their team trot a quarterback out and have absolutely zero confidence that they could convert a third and nine or are down five with three and a half minutes left. Like, there's no way we win this (laughs) game. There's no way this team can drive 57 yards and win this game. And everybody has had that. I've had that as an Oregon fan. Ohio State, at some point, I'm sure has had that. Um, I don't know if it was like the Kenny Guyton very brief era or if like you're going back to like what? I don't even know when that would be in like the early 2000s. Whatever it is, everybody's had that like third string quarterback come in and be like, there's just no way. There's absolutely no way. It's third and seven and that's six yards too far for him. And so that Iowa's building their whole rocket ship out of that idea is it's infuriating. If I were an Iowa football fan, I would just get in the best shape of my life this fall and spend Saturdays <laughs> just lifting heavy weights, get some cardio in, meditate, and just be productive on your Saturdays and then watch a better game when Iowa's not on. Have you guys been watching the Jets with Zach Wilson? No, of course not. At all? A, a very slight amount. Uh, I've been it's like that's what Iowa's trying to do. All right, let's go to the next one. I have one more in me. Hey guys, this is John Skulski calling from Arnhuis, Spain. I'm just calling to answer your question and clarify. I am not a Spaniard. I want to know. Would what you have nailed his accent? Is. Would you have nailed his accent, Dave? That's a Spaniard if I've ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Columbus, and I may have lived like a decade and a half in Europe, but my accent is thoroughly and profoundly Central Ohio. That said, my question is: mm. as of right now, solely, solely based on on-field performance. Do you guys have any top four? All right. I'm going to bed. It's like 5 o'clock in the morning here. Good night. Go Bucks. Let me tell you guys, Columbus is the Barcelona of the Midwest. So, well, the I mean, that, he, didn't say, he didn't say central Ohio, so that made me realize that he is stateside. I think origin. if you've been there 15 years, you are a Spaniard, just for the record. Ooh, but. interesting. Okay. So his top quattro. What's your so top quattro? So how do you guys? So 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 how do you guys go about this? Do you do it based on what's already happened? Do you well, go he by, asked based on what you've seen on the field? I I can no, do mine I know, right but now. Being based on what you see in the field is a math equation. Are you going to use your heart at all in this? Or are you going to no? Just I'm going like, to say who's 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 getting it right now. Pretty simply. No, I know, but are you going to use quality wins to yeah. help guide you? Yeah. Okay. Can you go first, David? I love the color you're wearing, too. <laughs> Did I mention that? Yes. I love the color you have on. Yes. My okay. top four, I'm going to go Ohio State, Florida State, Washington, and Texas. <laughs> I was gonna, I, I was like, I was like, my feet were digging into the turf there because I was like, you have to say Listen, something stupid. Again, okay, Ari, yeah. I've been saying I respect Texas going and beating Bama in Tuscaloosa is one of the two or three. We'll say it's the third best win. Florida State's wins better. Ohio State's win better. That's the third best win of the season so far. I respect Texas. Just don't trust them. Okay. Uh, Utah has won without a quarterback. That's much more difficult to do when they've played real teams in Florida, Baylor, and now UCLA. I don't know what order I have my top four. Maybe I'll sort it out as I speak. Um, Duke took care of business against Clemson. And so I'm considering Duke right now in my top four based on, I think the college football universe runs through the Tar Heel state right now because North Carolina's <laughs> played a bunch of real teams and they won have. all of them, right? Yeah. They haven't played a guppy as far as I know. And depending on your opinion of Pitt over the course yeah, that's, of the season. <laughs> the Pitt conversation is complicated. But, but playing yeah. what? Pitt, <laughs> South Carolina, Minnesota, who just wants to know the weather, and, um, App State. 
So the fact that they've improved on defense, the fact that they probably have one of the best three quarterbacks in the country, North Carolina's in that conversation based solely on results this year, not based on like the team composition or like waiting for the other shoe to drop with the defense or something like that. So I would have North Carolina in the top four right now. North Carolina and Utah, I I think I'm going to probably discount Florida State a little bit. They're losing the entirety of yesterday and they nearly lose to Boston College. So I might knock them out of my top four. I think you value pretty good wins more than I do. You are insane if you think Florida State's resume doesn't inherit like isn't like I think it's like a no like no discussion point. Boston, you think Boston College, who nearly lost? I think beating I think beating Clemson and LSU this year is better resume than what anybody's done in college football. That's fine. That's a win. But I think it's two wins week to week. Yeah, LSU and what and Clemson. Yeah, that counts. They're on the road. That was a hard game. Clemson's to win. one of the twenty best teams in the country. That will sort itself out over the course of the season. Clemson's unranked and led the entirety of that game. If we're only basing it on this year's results, otherwise, <laughs> look, I'm, I, I respect quality wins, and so Georgia hasn't done anything for me yet this year. Yeah. Texas has a quality win, but like tied against Wyoming in the fourth quarter doesn't do a ton for me, and I. I just inherently have bias, I suppose, right now that there's going to be like a weird. Texas Wyoming did beat future. But Big the way the way Texas that you are going through your picks right now would make it literally impossible to actually rank them in like um, two months. Because no, if you neg teams for playing close games, then it's like eventually every team is going to be negged for the same reason. You know. Well, then we what we have is we have a lot more data on the good wins. Yeah. And so if mm. you have seven good wins and two weird wins, then it's fine. But right now. This many weeks into the season, we're just going off of like then, AP voters in August. And I don't mean um, to come down on your top four. It's a very oh, personal thing to do on September. 20th. Have I ever cared about what Ari Wasserman thinks of me? Come on. <laughs> That's a good um, way to go. Well, through I've only life. said nice things to you ever. Right? I know. I know. <laughs> so I, have, I have Utah, North Carolina. If Clemson's a quality win for Florida State, then it has to be a huge quality win for Duke, right? Beating them 28 to 7. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Duke didn't also beat LSU, who's probably one of the they, six best. Also, teams. the way they beat LSU is pretty. Yeah. That, like, yes. Absolutely, the way Florida State did. But also, this is part of who I am. I discount week one either way. I discount week one either way because a team is never what it fully is going to be by week four yeah. in week one. And it's not it's it's not an accurate representation of a team in either direction. Like I'm well, there's only four weeks. Off. You gotta hold some weight to it. No, you hold some weight, but I write off week one more than I write off other weeks just because you don't know what you have in a team. A coach doesn't, yeah. you know. You give a coach and a program an opportunity to evolve from week to week, and they just haven't had that chance. So it's a great win for Florida State over LSU. I think that game looks different in week nine. That's all. Um, And otherwise, I don't know. Like, I I just think what the Pac-12 has done has been incredible. Like, Wazoo now beating Oregon State and Wisconsin. The Wisconsin win looks better after what Wisconsin's looked like since. Um, So, okay. My top four teams based solely this year, it's going to be Texas. Utah, North Carolina, and Florida State. And I, I hesitate with Florida State, but like I I don't know who you else is in there right now. Yeah. I think oh, this is right. like a, just a pretty easy math equation here. Uh just based on like I don't There's do... no such thing, Ari. <laughs> number one's Florida State, because they have two really good wins, I think. Uh mm-hmm. number two, I have Texas because they went on the road and beat Alabama. I know maybe as the year goes on, we'll get more data of the Alabama team that they beat, but Alabama dysfunctional and and it's all of its glory right now. Just beat a top 15 team. Um, Then I have Ohio state third. um, And then the fourth team is the hardest one for me because I don't know. 
um, which direction you want to go, no matter what you do, you're going to be leaving a team out that is very good, but might not have a great resume, or you might pick a team that's very good with a bad resume and leave somebody out that's really good. All right, I got to go, guys. Just so you know, it's bedtime over here. And yeah, go, go, go. Old that almost um, opened my door, but I appreciate you having me. Next time I'll stay longer if you'll have me back, despite my ridiculous top four. Um, yeah. Thank you and, so much. We're, we're going to only go for another 15 minutes, maybe, so you okay. did the yes. whole show. Oh, great. Well, Dan, I appreciate Dan, it. pleasure. My love pleasure. you, buddy. Take care of yourself. I'll, I'll talk to you soon, okay? <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, thanks again. That was uh, Dan Rubenstein of the Solid Verbal. Uh, definitely one of the best personalities in this business and if you don't listen to his show you have to do it it's it's incredible um okay and he said he's leaving before i got to my final four um who was yours again dave florida state texas uh washington and ohio state yeah so i've got uh ohio state florida and texas or ohio state florida state and texas because they all have and then it's just a debate between who you want to put Michigan, Georgia, Washington, uh, or Oregon there in the final spot. If you put you Michigan know, or like, Michigan or Georgia in there, I'm just like, that's they haven't like, done anything. Like you gotta like you haven't played yeah. anybody. You haven't yeah. done, you, you haven't played anybody, and you haven't looked particularly dominant as you have been playing. You know, tin cans. It's like whatever. Yeah, yeah, but also too, it's like I'm putting Georgia in there because I know they're one of the four best teams in the country. Well, you we're know, talking like, on-field results, though. That's the exercise, right? Yeah, I guess. Georgia was down double digits to South Carolina. Okay, I'll toss in Washington for you. They, they've they done right. it for me. Yeah. Appreciate it, Ari. They we'll spin throw, it. Toss them in there like a fish at a market. Okay, let's go to the next voicemail, guys. Hey, until Saturday, good crew. This is Lee in North Carolina. Uh, just got the news that game day is going to go to Durham for the Duke-Notre Dame game next weekend, and I wanted to get your thoughts on what the chances are that Duke wins that game. You know, we just wanted to... See if you thought that as a Duke fan, we might be getting our hopes up a little bit too high for a 5-0 start. Thanks. Enjoy the pod. Bye. I think it's a tough spot for Notre Dame. I think the idea that some teams beat you twice is very real. And I think the combination of the emotional letdown and the physicality of that game does leave them vulnerable. And at the end of the day, you're going on the road to a very good Duke team uh, I haven't looked. What is the line for that game, Ari? Do we know? I don't know that I've seen it yet. It's Sunday still, so. I usually, uh, I'm going to guess I, that it's Notre Dame it. by like six. Either way, I think Duke's got a shot to win that game, and I think that if they don't, or if they do, I think there's some there's an element of uh, thanks, Ohio. Notre State. Dame is a two point favorite. Really? That's the opening line. I don't know what it'll end at, but. Listen, I mean, Duke has a really, really good quarterback. They do. And they've beaten the crap out of everybody that they've played. Notre Dame's coming in, probably going to be beaten up a little bit. I actually think. Um, As I'm matching them up, I actually think Notre Dame's a really bad matchup for Duke in a lot of ways. I think they can neutralize Riley Leonard. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. I I didn't find Notre Dame's defensive line to be uh, all that dynamic. Well, they're also playing (laughs) Ohio State, Ari. Ohio State's <laughs> offensive line is their problem, though. Yeah, but they're still Ohio State. Problem they have for like Ohio a, State, as a we left tackle that transferred from San Diego State, and they couldn't get. I mean, like they, if they had an elite level defensive line, they, we would have felt that in the game on Saturday. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also think that Notre Dame has the best offensive line in the country, so it's kind of like, uh, you know, tit for tat. But uh, you know, if they open up at two and it ends up around four or five, 
Um, I think that'd be an interesting dynamic. So like, do they have a chance to win? Absolutely. Especially because it's at home and good for good for game day for to go into Durham. I love the charm of that show um, going to places that. that it's more exciting and people enjoy it. It's why when they go to Bama, there's like 10 people in the crowd. And if you go to like, you know, Appalachian Laramie, State, Wyoming. Yeah. Yeah. You go to like Appalachian State, there's like, you know, 80,000 or whatever. So, yeah, yeah they need, I think they recognize that. Um, and lean into that. Uh, meanwhile, I, I just wanted to jump in here and say BetMGM, our, our betting partner here, has Notre Dame favored by five and a half already. So the line is already go. moving in Notre Dame's direction. So yeah, so I, I think it's a kind of a bad matchup. I think we have a, we have we would not be podcasting Ari or talking about college football if we did a whole show without some Dion discussion. I think we have a Dion voicemail. Do you want to get to it? Sure. Let's talk about Dion. Hey guys, this is Jamie from South Carolina. I was listening to the Sunday Sound Off earlier and couldn't help but sit there and listen to you talk about Dion. Would Texas A&M not be the perfect landing spot for him? They got the money, he's got the the swag and whatever else. And curious to hear your take on it. So uh, enjoy the show. Thanks for everything. So, no, <laughs> Dion would not fit in at Texas A&M for a zillion different reasons. Uh, Here's the thing. I think that the biggest thing, the most important thing for Deion Sanders, wherever he is and wherever he's next, and I think, I don't think he'll seriously consider going anywhere after this season. I think Travis Hunter definitely can't leave. Shador Sanders, I'm not clear where he's at in his degree. I don't think he can leave. But autonomy is the number one thing I think that's most important to him. A&M I don't think would be interested. I don't think Deion would be interested in Texas A&M. On paper, maybe it makes sense. Now, the job that I was uh, told by an agent to watch out for. And I ran it by a coach and he said that that terrified him. Ari, you know what that job is? Uh, What would that be? The Houston Cougars. Yeah, that would be something. You have sort of a commuter school. You have Tillman Fertitta, who I think would get along quite handsomely with Deion Sanders. Mm -hmm. They make a lot of sense in a lot of different ways. And you are in Houston. And boy, that would be Dion running Houston. Like that was the the school that agents said look out for. And the coach is like, oh no. <laughs> the coach is like, oh man. He's but as he was sort of thinking, he was like, that that scares me. Like that the idea like they could like really dominate the Big Twelve if Dion got it cooking at Houston. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good job. I, I wonder if he wants to go. And I don't know. Maybe it won't be lateral. I mean the the. Uh, boosters there have got some quiche, but I, I feel like if I were him, I would try to build something at Colorado and then I wouldn't want to start over at another school in my own conference. I would want a Florida State or a Florida well, but or Colorado an LSU. Was one of the, or, Colorado was one of the few places that would take a chance on him. Like, there's a no, lot of, know, but like, like, now that you how, have this, like, do you at, believe that Houston's ceiling is infinitely bigger and better than Colorado's yes. just based on where Ari, you're in Houston. Yes. No, I know. But you think that like, you're going to just because of proximity Ari, Tom to recruits. Herman kept a five star at home <clears throat> in Houston at, at Oliver tournament an all American. And I'm presuming a pro bowler like, yes. have you looked at Houston's recruiting results over the course of the past? That doesn't matter. Ari. That, no, no, I know. I'm just saying matter. like, it's not, look well, at don't the, say the, that the Tom Herman kept he, a five star at home and then ignore the fact that they've recruited like, ass well for yeah, 10 years Ari, like it's been a lot of that awful. is because yeah. i like dana holgerson a lot the man has not made his bones as a recruiter and that's a huge part of that 
If you no, think I know. Dion would not absolutely recruit like insanity if he had Houston. That yes, I see on paper. I see on paper that being able to like drive over to a high, like it's one of the most densely populated cities for high school talent in the country. Like I understand that, but I don't know if it's like if that is what Dion needs. Is he not? getting top 10 recruiting classes at Colorado right now because he doesn't have proximity to players? It doesn't help. Is that what's missing? It doesn't help. You have to do some convincing. He likes to say, we don't pitch. We just, you know, we don't do that. I mean, he has to go to a school that will just let him do whatever he wants to do, and I don't know that any school in the SEC or a place like A&M will let him do that. So The combination of upside and autonomy, I look around at the Big Ten and the SEC, I don't see a lot of places that make a ton of sense. But I think Houston would make a lot of But sense. also, too, desperation is a moving target. And sometimes teams that aren't desperate on September 24th is recording this become very desperate a year from now. So maybe, you know, that that to me, I think, is an interesting thought. And I'm not trying to say Houston wouldn't work. I think it would be a hell of a lot of fun. And obviously being a stone's throw away from a thousand, you know, Division one players is a pretty good scenario. So that would be that would be fun to to watch. And we'll see where Dion ends up. But like I like I just have a romantic feeling of like. Dion going to Colorado and that be being his place for like 20 years. Like, and if that happened and then they won a national championship, I don't, what if they won a national championship in year 12 and like, he actually like got that place cooking. All right. I over here in the real world where we, I know I'm I'm saying I have a romantic vision of that. His next job, if it's not in Texas or I don't think like he's just looking to get out of Boulder. I don't think that's the case, but there's, he's, he's already doing things that will make him a commodity. And if his next job is not in Texas or Florida, I will be shocked. That's that just, would be cool if he took the Wyoming job next. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of, made ceilings, it even yeah. even more remote. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's uh, get to one final written submission to remind people that you can text that phone number, mm-hmm. uh, and then we will, uh, you know, get out of here. James L. via the Athletic. Can you discuss the proposed merger of the Pac Two and the Mountain West and the promotion slash regulation system that's been rumored? Uh, they would use if it, if this was the model uh, with the other remaining G5 conferences and should they explore it like that? What is that like the whole thing of like, you know, whoever wins uh, gets relegated to the to the bottom or whatever? Like, well, yeah, I, I well, the idea, I believe, as I understand <laughs> it, would be that it is a motivation for the Mountain West to dissolve its league so that you don't have to pay thirty four million dollars or whatever. And then. Washington State and Oregon State, as I understand it, would not be uh, subject to relegation. That's part of like how they would make it work. And you would rebuild the Pac-12 that way and then make sort of a gigantic league with like two divisions. I haven't had my nose pressed up against this story, but that's how I understand it. I mean, it's fun. It's interesting. Um, I think it's intriguing to a lot of people, especially in the Mountain West, as you sort of pursue upward mobility and try to figure out what the best place for you is. If you're a San Diego State, if you are a Wyoming, if you are a Fresno State, all that stuff. The idea of that getting all the way to the finish line, I'll believe it when I see it. It's cool. I think people have been kicking around the idea of relegation and promotion in college sports. It makes a ton of sense. It works very, very well in all of the soccer leagues. But just there's so much money on the line that I, you know, I, the idea of getting it to the finish line in college football feels like a, a the thing I don't understand about relegation in general is how do you handle the TV money that's that's the problem with all of this that's yeah. the issue um, you could I mean if you build it from scratch that you could never shift to it but that's the idea is if you sort of form a new league here 
um, and you build it from scratch and you convince the Mountain West and whoever else you want to get in there to come do that, then you could, in theory, do it because you have a lot of leverage to draw it up and be like, well, this is how we're going to divvy up the TV money. But just in practice, it's it'd be very fun. It makes a lot of sense. But maybe we should just stop trying to be soccer. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. All right, guys, uh, thank you so much for listening to the latest edition of Until Saturday. That was the Sunday sound off. A special thank you to our special guest, Dan Rubenstein of the Solid Verbal. I ate dinner with him on Friday night, and he's just an all-time guy. He's great. You know, there's a certain, certain people in this world that are just, like, good, nice humans, good people. Dan Rubenstein's one of the real ones. Thank you so much, Dan, for joining us, and thank you, Dave, uh, for being a good sport when I give you, uh, you know, the jabs. <clears throat> Well, I can always parry and counter with the right hook. Uh, and, you know, I'm just waiting for the the shoe to drop on Texas, which will be maybe one of the funniest. They're shoes in your top four, done. buddy. They're in your top four now. Uh, <laughs> just let the warm waves of the comfort of that f- just crash over your body. Um, be sure you're following the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, guys. Uh, that way you'll be notified when new episodes are up. We always appreciate a five-star rating and review. That goes for the podcast feed and the YouTube channel. Hit subscribe uh, on the YouTube channel if you are um, listening to it live here for the first time. And if you want to see us live on YouTube Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, follow the link in the show's description to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Uh, Obviously, likes, the shares, thumbs up, comments, all the things that you guys do um, are instrumental pieces to the continued growth of this podcast. And we we greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Uh, Thank you so much. We'll have a full uh, load of shows for you guys this week, and we'll get you into week five. For Dave Ubbin, I'm Ari Wasserman. That was the latest edition of Until Saturday. Bring back the turnover channel.